Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host Valerie, and sometime Kitty co-hosts Miss Purrington and Mookie. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, our festivals page listing upcoming festivals across the country and the world, and more. We're best known for our events page for live comedy shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW, where 100% of the entries you see come from comics and producers. If you want your show featured on the calendar, click the Submit a Show button from the top of the homepage or events page to complete the short survey. It's free and easy. Tag us on your Instagram stories and we'll share your show promo to our Instagram followers. Want to support these resources we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Click the Support CW icon on our homepage to see the ways you can help us. Now back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, we're talking to a former inner city school teacher who gave it all up for comedy. Now she tours all over the country making people laugh after getting her start in Chicago. She's been on Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tank, on Skankfest Festival, and just about every other podcast and festival around. Uh, And she just released her debut album, or not just, but this past summer, she released her debut album, Unbelievable. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Amy Shanker. Hi. Hi. <laughs> welcome. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I have a little cold, so my voice yeah. sounds a little off, but other than that, pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Good. Well, I wanted to, uh, I, I was kind of baiting you a little bit because I gave you my cell number in case, you know, you needed to reach me outside of, we've just been uh, messaging on, on Instagram, and I thought I'd get some kind of reaction because did you recognize my area code? I just no. I you like <laughs> I like looked at it. I was like, be there <laughs> because I was worried about being late. So I was like, okay, no wait, What is it? It's three one two. Oh, you're Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I thought, even... okay, we are on. We're going to talk about Chicago. That's so funny. No, I didn't even look at the. No- I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, maybe she. I don't know. Maybe she yeah. didn't read it. <laughs> the only Jewish person bad with numbers, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh so uh, i do have an official icebreaker question and then we can go into oh Chicago. okay okay all right one word to describe your past Ugh. <laughs> um fuck <laughs> that's not the word um it like oh shit um <laughs> this is so embarrassing because i was an english teacher so I should know words. Um, not like dynamic, but like, what's the word for like lots of different experiences? Um, it's, it, let's go with um, busy. <laughs> it's busy. It's your word. 
So one of my favorite things <clears throat> ever is just to sit here on this side asking the question and just watch. Like yeah. some comics are like, blah, word right off the cuff. And then it's my favorite thing to watch somebody's like the, the wheels turn, trying to find the perfect world word. Yeah, I bet <laughs> I think of one when I leave. Or if I just yell out a random word, yeah, that'll be that'll... what this is for, okay. what that meant. <laughs> yeah. Huh. It's a good question. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's literally an icebreaker. It, it is. Your, you know your mental thing running. Yeah, fragmented. That's more. Ah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. Just lots of different pathways. Yeah. Okay. But good fragments. Mm-hmm. Most of them. Did you grow up in Chicago? No. Mm-mm. I grew up in Kansas City. Ah. And I went to the University of Kansas through um, my first master's degree, and then I moved to Chicago and started teaching. So yeah, you're you're a smart. You've got a master's degree. Yeah, I got two. Two. <laughs> yeah, what a oh waste my of time. <laughs> Don't use either. Of them. Oh man. <laughs> One's for um, secondary English education. The others to become like a principal and administration oh. degree if I wanted. Yeah. Because I thought I I would want to get out of teaching at some point, but maybe stay in education. And as it that turned out, that was not. Yeah. The path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because education's horrible in our country. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's public out there when you, when you Google your name that, you know, it was, it was in inner city schools, which on top of just the challenge. Oh yeah. West side such... of Chicago. That's where I okay. taught. And I taught high school the whole time. And for the last like, oh, probably eight years of my career, I taught mainly seniors the whole time. Mm. So it was, yeah, definitely um, different from growing up in, in Kansas, Kansas City to, to moving to, you know, the west side of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> it was, was challenging. A bit of a culture shock, too. Yeah, a little bit. I, um, I think I, I was one of the few uh, white people in the school, but um, it didn't really, I guess that part didn't really... Um, make much of a difference it was more just like the culture shock was like because the school that I went to growing up was a very good public school and that's what I was kind of used to and then going into the inner city of Chicago it was like oh they don't have shit (laughs) they need much more help yeah yeah when you grew up were you around comedy in in any way um only if you include being Jewish you know (laughs) it's like kind of like bread in us, I think. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, every Jewish person just thinks they're funny, and the older they get, the funnier they think they are. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, not I didn't grow up around formal comedy. I just grew up around you know my family. Just our love language is kind of just ripping on it, making fun of each other, uh-huh. and um, and that doesn't translate as well <laughs> with with Christians in the south. I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> they're very sensitive <laughs> but um I feel like if I'm not making fun of you it's probably because I'm like get the fuck away yeah. from me but like otherwise <laughs> if I'm like oh you know just goofing around I probably like you but yeah, yeah. people are like you're mean I'm like oh shit sorry <laughs> all right well maybe by the end you'll be making fun of me and that'll be <laughs> that'll be my sign that okay I passed the Amy test <laughs> maybe <laughs> 
gosh. Although I'm, I'm, I'm super sensitive. So, you know, just do Amy light. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been working on it, but you know, I can't spend, if I talk to my family, it all just comes right back. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. What was the question? Oh, it was like growing up was there, you know, was comedy oh, present. Oh, comedy. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds bad now, but we, my dad used to like when we would drive, go on longer drives, we would listen to like Bill Cosby's mm. stuff and he loved it because it was, it was really, it's hilarious, you mm. know, his stuff about like families and, and his dad, his own dad and growing up is, um, just my dad just loved it I remember he like used to when my mom would go out of town he would make us like chocolate cake for breakfast (laughs) just because of that we'd like dance around the kitchen like dad Uh is great (laughs) makes us chocolate cake like that that but like yeah I guess that would be my exposure like that type of of comic the cleaner comic that we later found out was horrible (laughs) you know (laughs) So what was it that drew you to the teaching profession? Oh, honestly, um, nothing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was drawn more towards the um, field of, like, English, like, writing and and books and Ah. stuff like that. I just really like to read, which is also my dad's fault. um, Because in the summers, he would take us to the library and make us check out like a, a book for every week of the summer. So we had to check out like 12 books and get, read all uh-huh. of them and do reports on them. Cause he was like, I'm not raising stupid kids. So <laughs> and reading is writing, you know, uh-huh, you, yeah. the more you read, the better of a writer you are. And so, um, like it was just kind of that area was ingrained in me from a very young age. And then, um, I, I, I've always worked with kids, like, as either, like, a camp counselor or just a after-school, like, whatever, um, for kids that are just, like, you know, if their parents are at work and they just need to stay late. Yeah. Um, or a babysit and all of that stuff. And so it was just kind of a natural progression, I think. And then in college, I worked at this uh, group home for delinquent teenage boys whose alternative was, like, juvie. And so... Mm. I started kind of working with with troubled kids like around the age of like 19 or 20 probably and then discovered that it was just they just needed so much more help because they had a lot less uh, they just didn't have as many resources to you know to help them and so um, that was kind of like my dive into wanting to work more with like inner city kids and people that didn't really have you know, as much, because when I was growing up, I, did, I really didn't need my teachers hmm. that much, you know, if I ever needed help. I had the adults that I could go to that I trusted, and, yeah. and a lot of kids don't, and so I think it was more that than wanting to be in education, but also, like, I was a um, junior, like, second semester and still hadn't declared a major, and my... Oh, gosh. Yeah, my my um, <laughs> my counselor was like, dude... <laughs> So she goes, you can either do, with your credits, you can either do um, journalism or, or education. And I was like, journalism. And she was like, we'll do education. <laughs> so, Wait, what? So I just got, I was like, no, all right. She's like, there's li- less money in journalism. I was like, shit. Because there's a lot of money in education. Yeah, there's none in either, I guess, yeah. unless you're like the top in journalism. But it's like, you know... Not, yeah, I, so that's how I, that's how I got into education, and then, um, 
I guess I stayed through for the, so that was like five years I went to college but came out five and a half maybe came out with the master's and then um moved to Chicago started teaching and day one I was like ah I fucked up oh my god I don't want to be here at all oh wow and I stayed at that school for four years um and then the next school I stayed in for about nine so and both inner city and both um, fun, like I liked working with the kids, but I hated, um, in my second school, I hated dealing with the administration cause they were just really corrupt Oof. and horrible. One of my principal was arrested for fraud and embezzlement. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so, um, Illinois, it's crazy. It's a long yeah. tradition. Oh, she did a lot. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. I don't even know if she's been to trial yet. Hmm. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah, she got taken out of the school by cops. <laughs> it was so Chicago. <laughs> that is so Chicago. Yeah. Why do you think that if on the very first day you knew or you felt like you had screwed up, why do you think you stuck with it for 13 years? Oh, really good question. Um, I was like, I'll do this for like five or six and see and maybe it'll be okay because I didn't. I'd just gone through, you know, so much school and was like what a what a waste of time and money to mm. not put this degree to use and so that was the reason for that for staying at least for a little while and then by the time that I was like I need I'm I really want to try to find something else mm. every few years I would like look through like what else I could do and apply to uh, like a jobs in like the adult world or something yeah. and just would never get any response because everyone's like, well, you work with kids, you're a teacher. And I'm like, yeah, but mm. the skills I have are much more than anyone that you're hiring to do this position yeah. because teaching, especially where I taught, like and having that ability to have classroom control and talk to anyone because you, as a teacher, you're talking with kids, but you're also meeting with parents, you're meeting with admin, you're meeting with the board at times, mm -hmm. other teachers. So like your experience really is kind of with every single type of person that you could meet, I guess, within education or like surrounding education. And so, but people would be like, no, you just, you work with kids. Oh, and I'm wow. Like, oh, God. So I just, I really just couldn't find anything else. I didn't really have any direction for what I wanted to do, yeah. honestly. And then um, found comedy in like year 11, 10 or 11 of teaching. Tell me about how you found comedy. Um, I Well, I gave a speech at my brother's wedding, and I was like, God, there were like 17 speeches, and I was the last one. My uncle was asleep. <laughs> he slept through mine also. Uh, then, but everyone, when I was done, they're like, do more, do more. I'm like, oh, that's all, like, that's uh -huh. all I have. And they're like, they're like, you're in the wrong field. Like, you should be speech writing or you should be like um on tv or writing a show or you should be doing comedy like you shouldn't be teaching oh, anymore wow. and so I was like yeah maybe because it's kind of written all over my face how much I I didn't like my job and yeah. so um I went back to Chicago and I uh did a mic for like you know a five minute little thing and mm -hmm. then um that was about that was about it. I did I did it, and then I was like, okay, I tried. And then, like, I'm, a few weeks later, I was like, maybe I'll do it again, you know? And so, and I 
kept going like that for about six months. And then I was like, if I'm going to do it, I should just like, just do it and see. And so I just like jumped in full throttle and was going to mics every night. And, and then within like probably six, seven months, I was past it, a uh, laugh factory in Chicago. Oh, wow. That's quick. Yeah. Yeah. Very quick. But it was, the thing about it is like, I know that I seemed very new to comedy, but I wasn't new to like being on a stage and being in front of people. And so like yeah. having that stage presence and being able to control a crowd is, was just not an parallel. issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was very much a parallel experience. And so it was just like, all I had to do really was, was start figuring out how to write jokes. And then it kind of flew from there. Yeah. And in Chicago, I rose up, you know, pretty fast and then, um, quit teaching, moved to Brooklyn. Hmm. And I was there for about, I guess, eight years, seven and a half, eight years. Oh. And then uh, and then I came here from there. My apartment in New York, this is such a long story. My apartment <laughs> in New York got like, when I was on the road, it flooded. And it was like a basement apartment. Oof. And so, <laughs> and then it got like mold, black mold in it oh and God. because of the flooding. And then, and I was like gone for like a month. And then my landlords just did not at all care and they just stopped responding stopped doing anything so like oh my god which is so highly the... illegal yeah. yeah and um and then and they i think one of the guys made a mistake because he goes yeah there is mold we sent somebody out to check and i had already done testing on my own through like an amazon kit you know because <laughs> i was like waking up with headaches and 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 then i started getting like bloody noses and stuff Oh and I was like, what's happening? Because it, it only was happening in my Brooklyn apartment. And so I was like, this is like worry, worrying, yeah. you know. And was so, it visible to you? No, it wasn't oh, at all. Gosh. And it was like mold spores in the air. And so um, this test, it was like, it, it was all these like little Petri dishes. And it was like the directions were to just leave it open for um, an hour and then put the covers on and then and then wait and see if any mold grows. And then, and so that's what I did, put the covers on. I was gone for a week, came back and they were just like overflowing with black mold, like all these different kinds. And, and then my landlord ignored me and I, uh, the whole building moved out actually. So, cause it was so bad in the entire building. Yeah. Wow. And then they just put it right up for rent again. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Putting the slumlord concept. Uh, oh yeah, out front and center. A hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. That I'll have to show you a picture of the place before. <laughs> yes, I'm so curious. Yes. Yeah, it's. An, oh man, it was I, bad, and so so that brought me here because the housing market in New York is insane right now, and I just was like, there's no way I can find a spot, mm-hmm. and so um, I'm here in Austin for at least a little while, and yeah. it's fun, you know. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go back in time and I'm going to pick and choose a, oh, the, yeah, a, a yeah. few things. All right. So when you, between your first open mic, mm-hmm. it took you six months to kind of do the full commitment. Yeah. What, what was going on in your brain for those six months where you weren't, you were just doing it a little bit, kind of testing the waters. Yeah. What just... was pulling you back or what was... Yeah, just tell what was going on in, in your mind. Because it just didn't seem like a viable career option. Mm. Um, Even though you'd seen 
you know, just for all intents and purposes, uh, you'd seen somebody like, you know, a Bill Cosby who, you know, was playing in your car yeah, on, on rides. And... But to me, Bill Cosby is an actor. And so, mm. like, he had his own sitcom and stuff like that. Sure. And so it's like these, the the comics that I was aware of were just, like, larger than life. And so it just didn't seem reachable or attainable, uh-huh. I guess. And yeah. um, And I really just did not realize that there was such a scene for comedy in Chicago because as a teacher, you know, I was waking up at... 6 30 in the morning going to work and then by like 10 at night you're exhausted and so um I just wasn't like I guess out in that in that type of environment Mm -hmm. that much I would go out on weekends with my friends and then that was it but like when I started to realize like how much of a scene there was and and like how how um how broad it was and like how much room there was for different personalities and and accepting of different types of people. I was like, Oh, this is Hmm. really cool. And I was also like in the middle of like a pretty severe depression, I think. And I didn't, uh, I didn't really understand it because it'd never been diagnosed before. But like when I was sitting there and listening to other comics, like do their, do their like, stuff at mics and and it shows and talk about the feelings that they were having and how it relates to their depression I was like oh I'm depressed <laughs> like that's what this shit is like and and so I just felt more of a I guess more of like a community mm-hmm. with them than I had felt with a lot of other people and that made me want to you know keep going yeah yeah because comedy does change your entire life you know yeah yeah in a weird way Chicago is so well known for its sketch and improv scenes. Did mm-hmm. you dabble in, in any of those? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried um, like Second City classes with yeah. with um, <laughs> with improv, and I just didn't like it. Oh, I, interesting. I, I hated it actually because um, I the, I don't know. I like more control over the what I'm going to be doing on stage yeah. and. Uh, and I didn't, I just, I think I wanted more attention too. And so mm. I was like, this isn't for me. Like, I want to be a one man person. Up here. I don't want to give, I don't want other people taking credit for my jokes. <laughs> this is all mine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you got to know yourself. Yeah. 100%. I'm like, I'm not a sharer. <laughs> so yeah, that includes the stage, I guess. At a point. Yeah. Okay. And then what was it when, when you were, we're, you know, getting past at, at the factory and, uh, you know, you said four years in Chicago um, after that point? No, about two, two and a half, maybe two and a half. Okay. So what motivated you to move to New York and did you consider L.A.? Because by then you probably knew mm. L.A. or New York for Yeah, yeah. I was debating step. between the two. Um, I chose New York be- because stand-up, I think, is stronger in New York mm. than L.A., personally. And I think it's a little bit more edgy and raw. And um, you get, I mean, just hands down, at least three times the amount of stage time, probably, that you would get in L.A. Yeah. And so that was a huge draw. I visited both cities a few times and just kind of felt more at home in mm. New York. Um I also had some friends moving there, so I moved with them, and it was just a bit easier. I moved with um, Josh Johnson, if you know him. Yeah, yeah. I've actually interviewed him. Oh, yeah. right. He's so sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, we lived together for like three years oh probably gosh. in New York and, and Jeff Sheen. So, yeah, we were just all 
you know, one big um, family <laughs> would get in bicker, bickering little arguments once in a while. Well, you know, roommates, that's what you, oh, yeah. that's what you do. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it was a very interesting group. <laughs> yeah. So with with such a strong writing background that you've you've had, did you um, did you feel pulled into like the writing part that I think New York offers, where you're writing for shows? Mm-hmm. Did you get pulled into that at all? Is oh that yeah, something? yeah, yeah. I would love to write on a show. Honestly, I would love to have my own show. I would mm-hmm. love to do late night, like any of that stuff. It's yeah. just like a little bit more stability for you know for this field, sure. which is just an insane yeah. field. But um, with that, yeah, I mean, I've written pilots and I have, huh. you know, a couple um, just episodes from other TV shows, but I've I've also developed like a podcast that I am going to be hopefully doing something with in the near future um, to make it a little bit bigger, which I'm excited for. And then um, just, yeah, I guess, I don't know, being able to work with the, the creative people Mm -hmm. that I get to work with every day and like developing and talking with them and, and just thinking of more and more ideas for like shows and, or even sketches. It's just, it's the most fun. So yeah. Yeah. Ideally my life would be like writing for TV and then doing stand up at night, I think. Mm hmm. But it would be my show, you know. <laughs> yeah, because we've established you don't share. <laughs> <laughs> I'll share, but I don't like. But like, I don't want to be star. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, I I finally I, I can't believe that I've I've missed uh, seeing you perform uh, as long as I have because you've been in Austin a couple of years now. Yeah, I well I was splitting my time between Austin and and New York pretty evenly, and then uh-huh. when my apartment got mauled, like I was like yeah. I'll just be down here and I'll travel from here. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I finally got to see you at a Sure Thing show, and your your comedy like I I. It, it all lines up what you're yeah. saying about, you know, your family and oh, you yeah. know, the, the Jewish sense of humor and, and ribbing each other uh, definitely came through in, in what I saw. So uh, I assume that it was never um, a departure from who you were as a person. Right. Uh, what, what you brought to a stage. Yeah, I feel like it's important to be you on stage because um you know developing a character it's fun and everything and I think that's awesome but it's also like anyone can do that and be that character but nobody can be you Mm. and so it's like people might steal a joke or whatever from you but they're not going to deliver it the way you deliver it they're not going to um, have the passion behind it probably because yeah. they didn't write it, you know, and yeah. and um, and so I just feel like yeah, being your most authentic self on stage gives you an advantage, yeah. um, because who else can do that, you know? And right. so yeah, I am, but I'm also because I started later, I'm pretty comfortable with who I am as a person, and I didn't have to really find out who I was through stand up. Like I pretty much was pretty solidified in in who I was as a person, so. Yeah, you, you actually read my mind about the next thing I was going to ask about. You didn't start as a, you know, 18, 19-year-old right. kid. It's like, let me tell you about <laughs> yeah. life. You're like, yeah, exactly. oh, God, you don't anything, <laughs> please <kid>. don't. <laughs> you don't know it. Yeah. I hated that. I hated that so much. 
when I first started because I was like much older than a lot. I was probably had 10 years on the people mm. at least that were that were just starting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you guys don't understand how jobs work. And you're like, you're 18, dude. You just got hired at McDonald's. <laughs> like, calm down. <laughs> uh, are, are you the type of, of personality that... Uh, like you'll you'll tell them you know calm down or you seem like you are. yeah I do I shouldn't but I do and I know that and I'm trying to not but I'm also like Ugh. <laughs> I don't it's it's always the dudes you know yeah, it's never yeah, the women. I was gonna say yeah it's always guys that come up they're like and it's like it'll be like a a open micer that's been doing it for a year and a half they're like hey, good job up there, but here's some tags. You're like, I'm good, bro. <laughs> Trust me. It's okay. Thank you, though. Thank you so much. Um, what What do you think, uh, how do you think you grew by starting to perform in New York? Oh, New York's a whole different animal than Chicago, really than any scene I've ever been in um, or spent time in. It's New York doesn't, they have a hang, but it's much later at night um, because people are going from spot to spot to spot. And so everyone is just running and running and it Mm -hmm. kind of puts that hustle in you that like in Chicago, I didn't have as much because people like to hang out after they did their Mm -hmm. first or second show and then we would just all chill. But like in New York, you're either going to another show to do a spot or you're supporting a friend or you, you need to put in FaceTime in a club. And so it's always like very much... Um, a little bit more business oriented, I think, than any other scene that I'm used to because everyone that's there is there because they want to be rising to the top, you know. Um, my writing changed a lot there too because when I was when I started going there, I was just like getting to know the scene. So I was doing mics and getting to know other comics. But mics in New York, probably the longest mic I've done is three minutes. And if it's super busy, they cut it to like a minute and a half. And so like you're getting up there and you're either just reviewing premises or tags, but it's like really hard to get uh, the full thing out. And so my writing got a lot more concise a lot. And like the fat was trimmed Mm -hmm. for most of my jokes. And and it was just more like boom, 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 boom. And and I like that because it it did, it was hard to get used to, but it it did teach me how to write. I think much more effectively. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think five minute mics are too long because people just get so long winded about ideas. Right. And it's like, this isn't a joke anymore. This is just you talking, like meandering yeah. through yeah. a thought in your mind that's not, right. You know, and I do that too, but it's, I try not to, I guess, <laughs> but it's for a newer comic, hard to figure out what's the joke and what's just talking uh-huh yeah yeah so new york kind of teaches you how to trim the fat and go because if you don't you're not getting booked you know yeah yeah uh, i had a, a friend that moved from austin to new york and i'm sure this is very accurate because they told me this but they said in a single night they knew of people that would hit up six to seven shows six to seven mics yeah the 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 most, I guess, amount of shows I've had in New York in one night has been six. Wow. 
But in Austin, the, I had seven. Well, yeah, this conversation happened before the pandemic. Right. And Austin yeah. was a very different scene before the pandemic. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because yeah, I started coming down here during the pandemic when mm-hmm. New York was, you know, very shut down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, Austin has a lot to offer com- comedic-wise, like spot-wise too. Mm-hmm. But the comedy is different in Austin than it is in New York, for sure, yeah. you know. Um, but, yeah, I think that you can get just as much stage time, if not more, here in Austin. Um, it's just a different experience, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about what drew you to Austin, but I do want to do this this card game, oh, yeah. like my little intermission. <laughs> so these are open-ended questions, and the way this is going to work is you're going to point to the card that you want me to read to you, and then the other one you're going to read to me to answer first. Okay. So the one you want me to read to you is... The, this one. This one. Okay. All right. So read that so one to I me. Read this one. It's what if you just what if you just found out this whole thing was a fraud and I can't read. Oh no! <laughs> I just made something up. <laughs> I would question the, who you got your master's degree yeah. from because if you got to that stage, <laughs> bad. Yeah. Okay. This says I'm pretty sure this says <laughs> it says um I'll never forget being bullied by. Oh my gosh. Uh, I have the scar to prove it, actually. Uh, Virgil Wilson. What a dick. Fourth grade. This is how long I've been hanging on to this. Fourth grade. Uh, worst class. Uh, my teacher was Mrs. Ellis, who was a bitch. She should not have been a teacher. Cause I she didn't was... like my fourth grade teacher either. Really? Ms. Ziner. Oh, man. You remember her name, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Mrs. Ellis, just she looked the other way. And I was a good kid. I was a really good kid not a troublemaker at all um i don't know he sat behind me and he'd annoy the shit out of me and he was a he was a bully to a lot of people so it wasn't one of those things like looking back you think oh like, he had he a, crush. a crush yeah and i'm like no because i he I, he bullied a lot of people mm-hmm. i now the only thing that i think about in retrospect is man what was going on at home for this kid because he was he really needed assistance yeah that's so that's very accurate yeah. I, i've never met a parent and been confused about the child's behavior mm, ever yeah. in 13 years yeah so one day class was letting out and i don't know what was up his ass but he kicked the shit out of my shin my shin and i have the scar left from it jesus yeah yeah he was, was he like in steel touch. Yeah, I don't know what he was wearing, but I, you know, that was just What'd the worst. You do? I don't remember doing anything, but of course I wasn't going to remember anything. All I'm going to remember is Getting that he kicked kicked. the shit out of me and I still have the scar. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I was never, I, I was one of those people all through school where I would, um, I, I blend in. I'm not a, I'm not a, hey, I'm, a, I'm in with the jocks, I'm with the nerds, I'm, I just blend it into whatever scene, because mm-hmm. I'm an I'm a observer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what he had on me, other than it was, you know, he sat right behind me. and he Did just... he have, like, older brothers that hated your older brothers or something? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, wow. I guess that's possible. I had a, I did have a, I, I do have a half-brother who 
seven years older than me, so fourth grade, he would have been, you know, junior mm-hmm. or as dumb as he was. He was probably <laughs> held back as a sophomore, you know, maybe, because he, he was a troublemaker. Oh, it was I he? was the goody two-shoes to all the trouble he was causing. That's hilarious. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. And his name is so freaking generic that, like, every, you know, everyone's in a blue moon. I'll be like, can I look him up everywhere? You can't even find no, him? No, no, because it's such a generic name. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Virgil? Yep, Virgil Wilson. What a dick. Yeah. I wonder if he's dead. I mean, if he kept up... I don't think he made it through high school either. Like, I think he he dropped out. Yeah. Because that sounds I mean, accurate. It just must have been massive trouble. And just he, academics wow. wasn't his thing. So, did you, so you went through the same, like, high school? Like, it was like. Yeah, there was only one high school in my, my oh, hometown. Oh, okay, okay. So, we all, you know, knew each other. There were four elementary schools. And then we all went into one junior high, one high school. So, oh, I wow. would have known. If yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so we should go find him <laughs> and kick his kick ass. Him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do it, Amy. I'll do I'm it. I'm down. I know you will. <laughs> I don't like that. All right, you ready for your question? Yeah. All right, Amy. The worst dinner party I've ever attended. Dinner party. Let's see. Okay. Um, does family, do family events count? It's (laughs) open-ended. The question is, do you want to out the family? (laughs) No, I do this, actually, I do, I have a joke about the situation, but I think it's not really a dinner party. Well, we had dinner, but it was my, one of my best friends, it was her wedding reception. (laughs) It was so fun, though, but it was, like, bad. But, like, I remember drinking out of a vase for sure. And <laughs> there had been flowers in there, but there weren't any more. But um, w- uh, my friends in college, this was my longest friend, though, Sarah. We've been friends since, like, fourth grade. We're still very oh. good friends. But we are just a wild group, and we partied all the time. Yeah. And one of, one of my friends, Dave, my whole family was at the wedding, too, because Sarah, we, mm. you know, since fourth grade, yeah. we're all close. And... um. And uh, this guy, Dave, who was at the wedding with me, he, um, he fell into a, a, like a 40-gallon trash can, like, <laughs> like ass first. Like, oh, my God. He, his body was, like, folded over into itself. <laughs> we, had to dump, we had to dump out the trash. We had to dump the trash can over on its side to, like, pull him out. <laughs> Because he couldn't get out. My mom is just like, what the fuck is wrong with your friend? I don't know. He's been in a trash can before, for sure, though. Like, it was just like everything was just, we should not have been allowed at a wedding. Like, and, but they're still married and and very happy. They're one of my few friends that got married that are still married. So, you know, maybe the more wild you are when you're young, the better, I think, because you get it all out. Yeah. And you don't yeah. have like that itch to be like, oh, I missed, I missed everything, you yeah. know. But yeah. we did not miss a thing. Um, yeah, it was. 
it was just a what they used to call our group the black hole in college because like when people from other groups would join us like uh-huh. for a night out they would just like never go back to their friends after that <laughs> they would just stay with our group because we were just, we were fun yeah <laughs> like just wild <laughs> Yeah, we were that same group. We were at a a college party one night, and um, my friend Jess, she was on her way to the party, but she got arrested on the way for a DUI. And and her one phone call, she called the party. (laughs) We so she called the party and let us know (laughs) that she was arrested, and we're like, oh, okay. And, um, <laughs> I'm you? so sorry. And then we, um, <clears throat> so we passed a hat around the party for bail <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and we sent like the most sober person, our friend Sarah to go get her and different Sarah. And, um, <clears throat> like a half hour later, Sarah, um, called the party as well. <laughs> she goes, I got arrested. Too. Oh shit. <laughs> so we passed another hat <laughs> around the party. <laughs> We send the most next sober. <laughs> I was like, oh God, that was Deborah Rowe. And then she, um, Rowe is what she goes by. And so she goes there and she tries to bail them both out. They're like, okay. Oh, the, uh, Sarah got arrested because she had like $500 in outstanding parking tickets. But this was like Lawrence, Kansas. And parking oh. tickets at the time were $2. <laughs> oh, God. We're like, what, what did you do? But she worked like, I don't know. But anyway, so she got arrested. So now we have two friends in jail. We sent the next person row. And then she was like, the cops were like, all right, so yeah, you can, you can bail them out, but you only have enough money for one. (laughs) Who do you want? And she could hear them. (laughs) And, and Jess, the first girl to get arrested is just screaming. (laughs) It's like, you fucking pigs, I'm leaving, I'm fucking getting out of here, my friends are bailing me out, fuck you. Oh my god. And then Sarah's like, why is this happening to me? So she's like, I'll take the crier, you know, and we just went back to the party and just had to stay in jail for the night because we didn't have any more money. Like, we're college kids. So, yeah, that's like the black hole, that was our group, it was... We're so stupid. <laughs> oh we, I think gosh. we've all been arrested. Every single one of us. <laughs> well, There's no way that not, yeah, every one of us. So. It's good to have, you know, something that unifies. Yeah. <laughs> our yearbooks are just our mugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's wild. Oh so. my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, that didn't sound like the worst. No, worst that sounded like the most hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's just like at the time you're yeah. like, oh no, yeah, what's going our on? friends are all in jail. <laughs> what are we gonna? Who are we gonna party with? <laughs> okay, so let's go back to New York. Yeah, and you're uh, you're performing, uh, learning how to write differently, and uh, you're. I would imagine that by this time, because if I Google your name, like it's nonstop New York stuff. So you're yeah. you're getting booked a ton, and you're performing a ton. And you're also, and I'm just going to draw a, a correlation here. I also, um, and I mentioned it in the intro, you were on Ari Shafir's podcast. Mm-hmm. So that means to me, I translate that, okay, you're in with that whole Skankfest crowd, which is like this beast of like a uh, comedic force. Yeah. And you seem like you would fit 
right in with that whole, you know, ball busting. We're going to just say whatever comes off our mind. Yeah, New York Civic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, um, well, Skankfest, you know, um, gosh, that it's such a, I've done it, I think, every year, um, but it's because Rebecca Trent is, is, you know, she's a good friend of mine, and she's the owner of the Creek in the Cave, mm-hmm. which used to be in um, LIC in Queens, Long Island City. And um, Skankfest started there. The first one was at Creek, yeah. like seven or eight years ago. And it seems so quaint. It was so small. Yeah. <laughs> it was so small and fun. <laughs> yeah. And just... it like a baby fest is what it was and to watch how it's grown and developed over the years has been you know just just incredible and christine and and rebecca and lewis have just done you know a great job with with cultivating that and making it an environment that people really flock to every year um the Ari, I mean, I love Ari. I think that he's one of the one of the funniest people I've ever met, and he's also like a very generous person when it comes to um, sh- sharing his time and thoughts and opinions and advice for comics that aren't as experienced as him. And he is um, very giving in that way, and he'll promote you. He pumps up comics mm-hmm. all the time, um, and his. The, his joke writing is just insane. Like it's it's phenomenal. Oh. It's it's um something that I've like admired for for a very long time with him. So when he asked me to do Skeptic Tank, yeah. I was like, Does he have the wrong person? <laughs> like that's so cool. <laughs> and um and yeah, we had a great time on that. Yeah. It was just it was fun to be able to sit down with him and just like talk shop and talk about like education in a way that he had never really I guess heard of it mm. before because. You know, two Jews growing up as Jews, <laughs> we're like it's different. And, yeah. And but he's just he has this um, like yearning to learn about people, and and he's when you talk to him, he's very centered on you, and it's it's just it's nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all those guys, pretty nice guys. I think that um, what they say on stage can like they're jokes, but people will be like absolutely not yeah <laughs> like why <laughs> it's funny and you're, they're like it's not you can't joke about this or you can't joke about that and and I think those being like in that environment has kind of taught me you can almost joke about anything if it's funnier than it is offensive you know mm, like I right. think that's kind of the rule um I think I told Lewis he has like one of the only Jewish jokes that I've been like, oh, that's actually it's pretty good, <laughs> you know. But from coming from a goy, like, I'm like, oh, not bad. But like, because it's original and it's a, and a, yeah. it's its own thought. But most most comics don't get that far, and so like, I think that's the way New York does kind of challenge you. It's like to think outside of the box and really yeah. like discover your voice in comedy and how you want it to be like standing out differently from other people. So. Yeah. 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 I have I have a very uh, weird uh memory of Ari that I don't I actually have I don't think I've ever talked about. Uh magical moment for me is going to the comedy store in LA uh f- for the first time and staying through the you know all the way to the end cuz I didn't know better. I didn't know that people would just, you know, the audience would just 
hop in for a couple of the, you know, the main acts, the middle acts, and then yeah. bounce. Uh, to me, you stay show. for the yeah. whole thing. <laughs> so uh, Stephen Brody Stevens mm-hmm. had the Sam Kinison spot. So I'm sitting there, you know, watching him, which was like, you know, amazing to yeah. watch. Yeah. But I'm one of eight people left in the audience. And because I'm such a comedy fan, I was in the front row. So, of course, I was going to get talked to. You know, to, talk to. And, and he was very nice. We talked about Moon Tower and how he really wanted to get back to Moon Tower. And, you know, are very sad that he, he never did get to come back. Yeah. But uh, during, like, the last 30 minutes, Ari, and I don't know who else was back there because uh, it's also dark, but he kept talking to Ari and just Ari was like, okay, all right, Brody, sure. And like, he just, he was goading him without saying much of anything. And it was just like, oh my God, is that Ari Shafir? Because <laughs> back then, Ari hadn't gotten himself in hot water as many times as he has since. Oh, yeah. So for me, like, it was like, oh my God, it's Ari Shafir. <laughs> yeah, he's a poke the bear personality yes. for sure. <laughs> Yeah, but, so I think he was definitely poking. Yeah, it, he's like, and, you're like, don't touch the stove; it's hot. He's like, I'll tell you if it's yeah. hot. So it's, um, you know, but those types of people, I, I yeah. kind of flock towards them because I'm the same That's way, you, yeah. and it's just like I just like, you know, you have to find out for yourself and and do all of yeah. that. I could do it better. I could do it. <laughs> like, oh, it is hot. Yeah, but yeah, he's yeah, he's great. Yeah, so. Uh, if it hadn't been for your shitty landlord and your mm-hmm. terrible apartment situation, and if it hadn't been for the lockdown, do you think you would have given Austin much of a uh, no attention? <laughs> okay, no, <laughs> um, no, I I don't think I would have only because, like right before the lockdown, like things were just. I mean, I think for almost everybody in North in New York, on my, um like the level that I was on, things were just really starting to pick up and roll for all of us. Yeah. Um, when it came to like, you know, TV and spots and, and um, like starting to like really get a little bit bigger and then the pandemic happened and then it was like everything was just shut down immediately. Yeah. And so um, all of those wheels that were turning just weren't turning anymore. And I was locked in my basement apartment for a year with this dog that I had just started fostering. And um, and then I was like, well, I guess I got a dog. <laughs> you know, because who's going to, yeah, take them during the pandemic, which it turns out everyone took dogs during the pandemic, yes, you know, and then yeah. gave them back like yeah. rich assholes. And so, ugh, I hated those people. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so like a year in, I, you know, we didn't know it was going to last that long. And in New York, it was just a different monster COVID was because in places like Texas, like here in Austin, it was just, you guys have more space and, and so things weren't shut down as much. It's not the space. I meant in your head, like in the the political environment, let's just (laughs) call a spade a spade. Yeah. It was, um, very irresponsible, grossly irresponsible, I would say, uh, (laughs) And probably contributed to many deaths, but um, <laughs> but they don't believe that down here. So no, it's just a no, cold that they died yeah. from. Uh, right. So yeah, I get. But in New York, it was more like I think if rooftop you rooftop shows. Yeah, it was rooftop shows. Yeah. I did so many at New York Comedy Club, which is my home club. There we did rooftop shows every single night, like because there was 
or park shows where you're just mm. like, God, those are the worst. You're like, <laughs> ugh, trying to host a show and there's just a kid riding his tricycle in a circle around you. You're like, Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> like, why are you here? You're like, my parents are here. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, it was just, it was brutal. Yeah. It was a brutal time, but there was also, like, a lot of fun stuff that went with it. Michael Che was running a show, like, for a little while, a couple months probably, off the back of a, a old, like, Dodge pickup truck, oh like, in gosh. a parking lot. <laughs> and it was so much fun, and people would just come out. We would draw, like, six-foot circles <laughs> on, the, on the parking lot floor for, uh-huh. like, the space, and then... Um, people would just come and watch and and it was it kind of did build an alternative sense of community um these park shows and rooftop shows and parking lot shows but it just gets to a point where you're like i need comedy like i need to do real shows or i need i just need a little bit more i can't or we would do zoom shows and those were just a a different level of hell yeah because people would hack them and like put porn on (laughs) Like, man, that was a better joke than I was going to tell. <laughs> so you're like, can't even get into it. And then uh-huh. people are just like staring at you yeah. and not smiling. You're like, ugh. And then even if it's a good environment, well, as soon as you hang up the Zoom call and look around, you're like, oh, I'm alone. <laughs> like, this is horrible. <laughs> so that's why the creek closed in, in New York and reopened in Austin. And, um, you know, I just started coming down here. I bought a car. And just started going on road trips and um, doing, and it was a little bit more free at the time. So I was doing like more um, shows and I would do like stuff, like just tour along the way down to Austin and back up. And and it wasn't bad. I liked it. And that's how I kind of grew to love Austin. And I really never would have, I think, even thought about it if I hadn't, if it hadn't been for COVID. But I'm glad that. I was able to find like comedy in the city because it really at the time in New York, like and going, I think everyone that did COVID in New York has like some pretty bad PTSD from it probably because like watching the news and stuff and you're seeing all these dead bodies piled up, like, and we're, we were out of like fridge and freezer space and it was winter. So they're putting bodies outside along the lakes or along the, the, um, the water and you're, and it's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, it's like Black Plague situation. Yeah. You're like, this is really insane. And so getting out of that um, was, I I, just, I think I just needed it. Yeah. Because um, living alone, especially during that time, was like very lonely because people were just like not out at all. In my life, I was used to being out every single night. Mm-hmm socializing all the time you know being in front of crowds and then for it to stop it was just like really it was difficult and so I I was grateful for the Austin scene and when this well when I came down here and this scene was kind of starting a new I guess it's like was kind of split into two scenes Mm -hmm. it still kind of is I think um yeah yeah but uh but the the growth that I've seen in the people that I've worked with have been just like wanting comedy, wanting to grow, wanting to learn, wanting to do as much as they can. And it's, it was really refreshing because in New York, you can tend to get a little bit more bitter about stuff and like you're grinding every single night and things just are slow to happen and you just want things to happen. And in 
in Austin, things just kind of seemed to be happening, you know. Yeah. A lot of opportunities that I got here took me back to New York to do stuff. Hmm. Um, I did the New York Comedy Fest from, from like, a thing that I did here. Like, an audition oh, wow. here brought me there. And then uh, Comedy Records, which is who I did my album through, saw me at Caroline's, approached me there. And so it's like... For a while, I was like, I don't know which city I want to be in because um, I get stuff in both and both lead me to each other. And so it was just kind of like confusing to make that choice. But then my my apartment got just demolished. (laughs) I was like, I went back. That's the choice. Guess it'll be Austin for a little bit. <laughs> so. Yeah, and now that everything is is wide open again, you're splitting your time. Still, I'm or still. Well, you... no, I'm because st- I had to give up my place, and yeah. so I don't have a place in New York right now. So once I can, you know, maybe find that, I'll probably start splitting my time again. Yeah, I do. I really like being in both cities, and it's just, it's just. There's so many benefits to being in each that yeah. I don't really want to give it up. Yeah. What? So we talked about when you moved to New York, how you changed your writing. You you trimmed. You learned that you needed to trim the fat in order to yeah know, be effective on stage. What do you think you've learned by the move to Austin? Oh, that's a good question. I um, I think that a comedy is very different in Austin than New York for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, in a way that is both good and bad I think Um, I think in Austin what I've learned is like you need to like ingratiate yourself to the crowd a little bit more Mm. like in the Midwest just in general for them to be like yeah we'll listen to your Jew jokes (laughs) 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 we don't like you but we'll listen it's like all right but, uh, yeah, I think that, like, I had to slow down um, mm. for sure because in New York, like, the, the the people that are at the shows are there for the jokes. So you get out there, you get right into it, and it's just like, go, 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 uh. go. And, and it's fast, and it's fast-paced, and you talk faster there because it's New York. And, uh, yeah. and here I, I've learned, too, like, that I need to, like, slow down a little bit, give, give jokes some space to breathe, and, and then um, – yeah, and get to know the crowd really here likes to be talked to. Um, so so giving them like that part of or that side of me, I guess, is something that I hadn't done as much in New York, but I do definitely do more here. Mm-hmm. And when you say talk to, are you talking crowd work or are you talking that whole concept of they need a little bit of time to be to warm up to both, me? Both, both, kind of. Crowd work, I think, is how the, a crowd warms up to me. Um, and I love doing crowd work mm. because it's, it's, I like learning about people too. And like, I like people to feel comfortable. I know that a lot of my material is, is um, difficult to hear sometimes or mm. write about because I do talk about school shootings and I talk about the system, you know, for education. I talk about being Jewish and I talk about, you know, the problem with fuckboys and and a lot of people kind of take more offense to it here than they do in new york because i think they're looking at it more as me as as opposed to the jokes that i'm writing Mm. like they're they don't separate themselves they don't separate the two as much 
And uh, I don't know. It it. I like getting to know the crowd for sure here and in New York, I guess. The um, but the crowd work aspect. I think that that is what helps me and helps the audience feel closer to me too, because it's um, it's an important thing to do crowd work. Sometimes, you know, especially if it's a longer set, because to just go in and just start jokes right off the bat here, it just really, in my experience, doesn't work. And I think Mm. that sometimes it is due to the nature of the stuff that I talk about, because it is hard to hear about kids getting shot. But that's also a reality that I think um, if people don't start bringing up and in a way that like, and I joke about it, but it's also like, and people have been upset with me. You're talking about shooting kids and you're, and you're talking about this and that. And, yeah. and, um, but I think comedy is more impactful and memorable than just a regular speech. And so to get out like the stuff that kind of needs to be said to people yeah. is important. And, it, and, the school district and the government, no one's going to do anything about guns anyway. No one's going to do anything about violence in the schools. And no one's going to do anything about school shootings except for the people on the ground. And that's us and that's the students and that's parents and teachers. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's like for people to get offended by it with somebody who has a lot of experience in that is in my opinion, insanely narrow-minded because they usually have no clue what they're talking about. You know, they're like, let the police handle it. You're like, well, the police sit in their cars during the shooting. So (laughs) maybe not, you know, maybe the teachers do need to handle the situations and be trained for all of that stuff. But like, and I'll, I'll talk about, there was a shooting in my school. I talk about it on stage. It wasn't like, Sorry, it wasn't like a guy came in and was just went to the library and started shooting stuff up. It was more, it was outside with a huge fight and just boom, 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 just huge. And the whole school was out there. And so it's like, when I talk about it, people have in the past gone, oh, well, but that's inner city. And it's like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit insane in my yeah. opinion. And so I think that people do need to hear perspective and I think perspective comes out more in comedy and it's more memorable when you can at least find a little bit of humor or laugh about it. Yeah. And it's not like school shootings are hilarious or funny, but to be able to talk about it in a way that is memorable, I think is more important. Yeah. And I think coming from a teacher's perspective or somebody that's been in it is, is more impactful, I would hope, yeah. than just like some random dude doing a school shooting joke, you know? Well, I was going to go back to the example that you said about how Ari, Ari, you know, if you you could tell him the stove is hot and he's just going to put his hand right there. Yeah. You've you're a lifelong writer and you are equipped and not only equipped from your background, but also you've been doing comedy long enough and writing comedy long enough that in your hands the topic can be brought to the stage mm-hmm. in a way that makes that should make people think and maybe when they walk away, they're like, oh, yeah, our society really is fucked up. Yeah. So we let this happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have but, a joke about arming teachers and how stupid it is. That's like we're not. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get into education great to joke. shoot people. That's yeah. insanity. Like, yeah. And you and now you want to put guns in our hands? Yeah. <laughs> are you out of your mind? Yeah. Teachers are crazy. Have you met your art teacher, your gym teacher? <laughs> They're insane Mrs. people. Ellis, what would she have done? They're insane. Yeah. yeah, I would have been shot as a student, hundred percent. Yeah. Like it's just like. Yeah, but to to wrap up my my thought is I I don't want an open micer with a year, year and a half of experience mm-hmm. to, to do a joke like that. They're not equipped. Yeah. They don't have, they may not have the background and insight that you do, A, but B, they haven't been at this long enough that they can do it in a way that is funny, but also thought provoking. Yeah. It's that, just going to be crass. Yeah. Because yeah, it's the writing experience. It's the stage experience. It's being able to figure out how to, work a crowd when maybe somebody yells out like fuck you or shut the fuck up Mm -hmm. like this isn't something to joke about and it's like no you can i can joke about this i don't you don't have to listen that's for sure but like you know if you don't think that you can joke about it maybe maybe we should make better rules so that it doesn't happen anymore i don't know like yeah but but that is a good point that you bring up with like being not ready to to tell um, or to talk about certain material and not having the skills to do that yet because I still have jokes that I'm like, I'm not, or like situations that I would love to talk about on stage that I'm mm-hmm. just like not ready to talk about yet or don't have yeah. like the direction that I've been thinking about for 10 years, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm like, I don't even know how to bring this to a stage yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. And so to be a, a one-year comic that's like, I'm going to, going to tackle gun control <laughs> like <Yeah>. are you <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> uh, i will say from the side of the the audience uh there have been times as an audience member where something like deeply personal has been happening in my life and i hear a, a comic who otherwise would be perfectly fine mm-hmm. and they'll they'll touch on something and it it does wreck me yeah. But I'm never going to come up to the comic afterward and say, you can't, you can't talk about this on stage. Right. It's a, it's a, but it's like a two way street where, uh-huh. yeah, you're working at talking about something that's difficult, but you never know who your audience is, that they yeah. might be going something, you know, that, that touches so close to the nerve when you bring up that topic, right. that they can't hear the words that you've crafted and spent years putting yeah, it together that's true it's very true i i was doing that joke that school shooting joke about arming teachers in brooklyn and a guy in the in the crowd was like visibly upset mm. but um but i also saw their friends rolling their eyes and so i was like okay and so i called him like hey buddy you don't you don't seem happy about this joke he's like <laughs> he goes well some of us were in school shootings <laughs> yeah and his friends go no you weren't <laughs> <laughs> They go, you were at lunch with your mom when there was a shooting at your college. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, poor kid. Jeez. That hurts. Yeah. You know? You want to just claim that fame yeah. so bad. But yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's man. That's a whole other. It's a yeah. whole other thing, right? Yeah. And I was, and in my, I've been in it too. So I'm like, yeah, I've been in a shooting. <laughs> also, you think that I'm not allowed to talk about my stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, to me, if you don't like the joke, there's going to be another one in two minutes. So, mm-hmm. and I get that like jokes can definitely like the material can be trigger triggering. You know, people talk about murder and rape and, and, 
and sexual assault or in gun control and and they are very hot button issues Mm -hmm. especially in america but like to expect a comic or to tell a comic you can't talk about this you can't talk about that well no you just you don't have to listen to it like you're you not listening will tell me what to talk about you know it's going to be much better than than an audience member screaming out, fuck you, don't talk about this, because all that's going to happen is it's going to be a clip that goes on yeah, the internet, yeah. and they're going to continue to do the joke. It's just not an effective way to communicate, yeah. I don't think, with heckling. But like, I think if somebody were to come up to me after a set and say, I'd like to share my experience with you, I'd be much more open to listening. And, and I might take out a line or change it so that it makes people less... Hmm. Um, triggered, I would say, but I wouldn't take out a line to make people feel more comfortable with the topic. Yeah. If that makes yes. sense. Yeah. Cause and I, I would argue don't change it at all. Just be mindful or not mindful, but just be aware of yeah. the power of your words. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the power of words is, is, is more than people realize, honestly, yeah. because like when you think back to situations in your life, you're really, unless you got, you know, the shit kicked out of your shin or, you know, very severely beaten, you're going to think about what people have said to you yeah, more than what they've done. Mm-hmm. But you'll think about, oh, they said this and then they did that. Like, you know, so the words, I think words are much more impactful long term. Yeah. In, in my opinion, but I don't, I don't know. I think, I think that, if I knew a joke was causing people pain, I would rethink the joke a little bit because I don't go on stage to make people feel bad. You know, yeah, I want them yeah. to laugh. I want them to be happy when they leave. Yeah. So if, if a joke is consistently, you know, maybe making even like one person in each crowd just be like, fuck you. <laughs> You're like, nah, maybe I should figure it out. I don't sure, want... Sure, that's I fair don't want, feedback. I mean, unless they're like just like you know, horrible people that, but you can tell, (laughs) you can definitely tell. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell when someone's sincere versus like, like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, thank you for going into that deep dive because not a lot of people are willing to talk about, you know, uh, when they bring hot button issues, uh, on stage and how to deal with that and what's, what's yeah. the right way, wrong way. I mean, I have my, my rules. <laughs> it's right. don't be an open micer <laughs> tackling these yeah. topics. Cause you're just going to get blowback. Right. Work on it, work on it, work on it until you can get to the point where it's, it's a joke. Mm-hmm. So it serves its primary purpose. Yeah. But yeah. it's around a topic that can be yeah, it just yeah. it has to be funnier than offensive. Yeah, for sure. Like, and, although, <laughs> and a lot of people are like, don't get that. Yeah. Like, especially newer writers and newer comics are like, no, I'm just gonna go. Uh, and the thing I have noticed in Austin that I don't love about um, that is that it's this scene is very much an anything goes scene and it's rewarded, which is good but it's also bad because then you get people that their punchlines are you're gay <laughs> it's like what are you doing <laughs> it's not a punchline yeah. it's not even a tag like yeah. it, it just yeah. gets like and this is why we, we get into the discussions about yeah. it's two scenes because the scene before didn't punch down 
And the scene now is like, anything goes, and punching down is cool. And and, and kind of them taking over a little bit, yeah. I'm noticing, which I don't, yeah, I think that, I, I don't know, I really like smart writing, and yeah. and um, and that's a skill that, yeah. that you have to work on, but you have to work on it. Yeah. And but it's all part of the training process. You're going to yeah. write those terrible jokes your first 100%. few years. And then you're going to figure out, oh, I'm alienating my audiences. Yeah. And if I, I think really that, want to do this. Yeah. And I think a thing that a lot of newer comics don't pay attention to is who is laughing. Mm, yes. You know? Are you don't getting write for the back of the room. Back of the room laughs. You're like, oh, you're just... Yeah, are, the comics friends. aren't going to be your audience, yeah. you know? I hope. Yeah. You want a real audience, right. like, so you should start writing for yeah. a crowd that at least refine. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's um, but that all takes time and to to learn that. Mm-hmm. But you do need to learn that. Like you have to keep an open mind to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild. Yeah, and that's the distinction that you have over the new new comics. Is when you went into it, you already had well established who Amy was. Yeah. And so you didn't yeah. have to go go through that, no. that process. And I, I mean, I know I've said stuff on stage that's offensive. I know that I've walked off stage and been like, man, I wish I hadn't hmm. acted like that or, or hmm. gotten, you know, like sometimes you just get hot-headed or you're, you go after an audience member who is heckling because you just yeah. want to get through your joke. Yeah. And you're like, damn, I wish I had handled that better or said something different. Yeah. But like, it's all experience related and so getting up as much as you can that's why it's so important to be and not just getting up as much as you can but getting up in front of crowds and getting up in front of different crowds like that was the benefit I think of going on tour is that I knew my stuff worked in New York I knew my stuff worked in Chicago and I knew it worked in LA but those are three very big cities so you have to take it to smaller towns you have to take your stuff to smaller cities too and 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 see if it works there Mm -hmm. and like if it doesn't you have to make changes because that's the majority of america and those are the people that are going to be listening there's the those are the people that go on longer drives like and are you know that they want the podcast they want the albums and so it has to be appealing to them too like right comedy is not just for you it's for everyone so yeah yeah uh, Amy, I wish we could talk forever and ever because we haven't even gotten to the lead up to your album recording <laughs> oh, and then yeah. the release. Uh, but I have to be. <laughs> I get it totally. <laughs> uh, we might need to do a part two. Uh, before we wrap up, is there something that you uh, feel like you want to share with with our listeners? Oh, like project wise or sure. like, well, you're going to have a chance to do your, your like um, full on promo, but is there something that we haven't talked about that you really wanted to talk about? I don't know. No, just do the things that make you happy because <laughs> life sucks. Otherwise, yeah. you know, if you're in a job, you don't like figure out yeah. if you can leave or figure out what else you can do to make you happier because like, I don't know, life's just so short and you don't get a lot of them. Yeah. lives <laughs> yeah unless you want them i guess unless i don't know can. if you believe in reincarnation but like um i think that that people get really bogged down with the day-to-day stuff and they ignore their um needs for uh to make them happy you know and i did that for a long time and it's just not 
a life I, I would want to live. Like, I don't want to look back on my life and say, what do I regret? You know, I want to yeah. say, oh, what did, what did I do that's, that was so exciting and, and have a huge list. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Okay. Is that weird? <laughs> <laughs> no, Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, ugh, I want to ask you this because uh, it is such a big part of you that you spent 13 years in a profession you didn't ultimately love. How do you think you would be different as a comic if you had gotten the start early? in your early 20s? If I didn't teach? Yeah. Mm. I was very shy uh, growing up. Wow. Extreme, like an extremely shy. Like my, um, my third grade teacher was like, you have to put her in like a acting oh. class or something, like because she re- does not talk. Wow. Yeah, and then and so, um, I think that like I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do you think you'd be very different as a comic oh. if you had started sooner, not gone through that being in a profession? Yeah, I think I would be very different as a con just content wise alone. I think it would be different, mm. but like, um, I've always I was shy, but I always liked attention. You know, like I there's so I think that I would still have found comedy. I think that it would take it, have taken me longer to find my voice, mm. for sure, which isn't yeah. surprising yeah. in your 20s. That's all you're kind of trying to do is figure out who you are. Yeah. But um, I do think it would have taken me much longer to be comfortable on stage, to be comfortable with material, to understand like what I can and can't talk about successfully and, and how to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I'm glad that I have my teaching background, and I'm glad that I taught for – a while. I wish I had not stayed for mm. as long as I had, but I just, I didn't really find comedy, honestly, yeah. until, until I found it. And so, um, I, th- I think I would, I, if I had taught for probably five, six years, I don't think that I would have any different opinion on it than had I, than mm. me staying for the 13 that I stayed for. I think that my opinions would still be the same because it was, you know, the same shit, different schools. And yeah, I don't know. I, I do wish I had started earlier for sure, but I don't, I don't, um, regret teaching. Hmm. Uh, I just wish I hadn't done it as long. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, that was such a rambled answer. <laughs> it's fine. I went all over. <laughs> I'm going to get your real narrow focus here with my closing question, which is, one word to describe oh, your no. future. <laughs> Fuck. Um, one word to describe my future is, can I hyphenate it? <laughs> There's no Ew. official rule book uh, to this. S- successfully large. <laughs> that. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> that works. That works. All right. Well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Amy Shankard. Amy, tell us where we can find you on social media and promote your projects. Oh, I'm on uh, Amy Shanker, S-H-A-N-K-E-R, everywhere, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, dating sites. (laughs) Um, And I run 
two shows here in Austin. Both are on Sundays. One is um, the Austin Comedy Show. It's every single Sunday at 7 o'clock at High Sign Brewery um, over on off of 7th. And it's it's a really, really fun show. And then um, um, I run... I started this as a, it was supposed to start as a show, but then the pandemic happened. So I turned Uh it into a podcast. It's called the most expensive joke. And, um, it's about the situations that have cost comics the most in life, whether Mm. it's mental health or, um, relationships, divorce, money, literally anything, just what, what costs you the most in your life in kind of a negative way. And, what joke did you write about it? So they they do the joke, and then we talk about like the, oh. all the behind the scenes um, details of the situation, and which I thought of because I got arrested at LaGuardia Airport um, a while ago. Oh my and god! It cost around five grand. So that was Jeez. at the time my most expensive joke, and I wanted to hear other people's. Uh-huh. So we t- I turned that into a podcast, and now it's a show here at Creek in the Cave um, every uh, first and third Sunday at 6 p.m. and the next one's going to be um well this when does this come out uh this is coming out the 19th so next weekend on sunday mm-hmm. oh that's when the show <laughs> put it out early uh <laughs> come to my show today <laughs> Creek in the Cave. listen it's then get to the show one. yeah it's um but it's just it's kind of more they come out they do their joke and then we talk about the situation uh-huh. and then open it up to the crowd for questions. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Wow. And the first one we did, this dude got so mad because he brought his parents and a lot of the material was like oh. very racy and um, and he one starred us and then he goes he goes and then they were just asking questions to the audience for qu- they were asking the audience for questions. I'm like, no, it's a it's a Q&A. What's the matter? <laughs> he was so upset. Oh my gosh. But um but his parents were 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 giggling and he was just crossed oh his arms God. were crossed He's the whole repressed. time. So repressed. But one star from him, but the others seemed to like it. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Amy got to be the comedic genius that you heard today, just as much as I have. <laughs> this has been Comedy Wham presents Amy Shanker. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. We never talked about Chicago. <laughs> I know. We never Bye. did. Oh, Next wow. time.